Welcome to Sports Business Secrets. I'm your host, Kevin Tarka. This podcast is specifically designed to share secrets from experts in the sports business world to help you along your own path to success in this industry. Each episode is packed with lessons and insights that never expire. You'll hear from general managers of professional teams to CEOs of sports tech companies to agents, coaches, players, and everything in between. I invite you to join me in real time on my personal journey of representing players and coaches, traveling the world, and always finding a way to battle through obstacles in this competitive industry. Good afternoon, my Central European time zone listeners. Good morning, my East Coast family. And I believe it will be a, hope you're in the middle of your REM cycle sleep uh, to my West Coast USA people. So for those who do not follow me on Instagram or Twitter, first of all, I think you should go do that because that's where I post a lot of my content. Um, so Instagram is just at Kevin Tarka and Twitter, it's at Kevin underscore Tarka. Yes, we're working on getting that change to the same. That's a story for another day. So I am in my top three favorite cities in the world. No question. Um, Barcelona, Spain is where I'm at. I'm very, very energized, let's say, to be back on the road. If you followed me for the past seven or so years, I've spent a lot of time, uh, really as much time as possible, to be honest, immersing myself in basketball and business environments abroad outside the United States. Um, And uh, yesterday was my first full day here in Barcelona, action-packed day, uh, filled with all things EuroLeague. So today I thought it was fitting to do a bit of a a recap on on the Euroleague and and just some of my thoughts on on where it is, uh, some of the challenges and where 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 the Euroleague is moving forward relative to some of the other professional basketball uh, leagues worldwide. So to start the day, I took a wonderful trip up to the Euroleague headquarters, which uh, is in Sadia. So I took a nice little bus bus trip up there, which is about it's about a twenty minute. 20 minute bus ride up from, from the city center where I'm staying in San Antonio. Um, if, if again, you know, you're, you've been following me, you know, that the Euro league is, uh, especially the headquarters is, is, is a special place, uh, holds a special place in my heart since I did, a, a, the Euro league masters program, um, and, uh, was able to build a lot of, a lot of close relationships here. So, uh, it was, it was great to catch up with some, some familiar faces. Although since I did that, uh, that program here in 2016, there has been a lot of staff changes, including the president who was Jordi Bertomeo, uh, and the one and only infamous Ed Scott, the former COO. Um, those two are no longer there. It's under, under new, uh, New leadership there. Um, if you're unfamiliar uh, with with Ed Scott, you should go to episode 175 and 176 because there's just a tremendous amount of of content in there and background and just educational value on the Euro League and uh, and just sports and you know sports in Europe in general. Um, and and he is uh, he's the only guest still until today whose conversation went so long that I had to turn it into two episodes. So um, just. You know, some other people, Miguel Ferreira, who handles operations, Danny Soto, who's uh, general counsel. Um, it, you know, it, it, it was great to see these people and, and catch up briefly. And, and there's going to be some some more uh, more content on the EuroLeague specific stuff next week because I'll be able to spend more time with them. But um, also, I was very fortunate to uh, to have built a relationship with Marshall Glickman over the past several years, um, who's a staple in the 
in the professional sports and consulting industry, let's call it, who is now the new CEO of the EuroLeague. So always grateful for his time. I was lucky enough to spend an hour with him yesterday, just catching up on his transition here. And of course, the lovely culture and weather of Barcelona. Uh, and then obviously, uh, you know, the, the, the EuroLeague, the challenges and what things look like moving forward. So I, I will tell you again, as I've discussed before in the podcast, and even I think we, we touched on it in the episode with, with Edu, many people see the EuroLeague and the branding and a great product, which is a testament to the great work that the people do at the EuroLeague offices, um, you know, and even the, you know, obviously the production team and um, saw my guy Giacomo, shout out to Giacomo uh, last night, I saw him at the game, um, but it's just very, very difficult, like the EuroLeague in general, the, the, there's, it's a very challenging time. There are so many things that if you just, if you're unaware and you just see the final product, um, you know, and you see the branding and you see great basketball, but it's just so challenging to run a league with teams from 10 different countries, some of which have, some of which teams have decision-making authority um, or, or, or at least a seat at the table with their A licenses and all of which have different economic situations in their countries and tax laws and not to mention the budgets they have. So anyways, it's it's a very challenging time, I think, for sustainability in the EuroLeague. So for this episode, I'm just going to summarize just some thoughts and topics into three categories. It's going to be current challenges, current focus, and then future vision or future topics. So first of all, current challenges. Financials. That's a big one. Um, sustainability, not necessarily from the EuroLeague front office or Euro, EuroLeague business perspective, although that definitely has its own conversation. But here I'm talking more so from the clubs. And without going into specifics, it, it's just a reality that few clubs, if any, just generally speaking, professional basketball in Europe make any profits, right? Few clubs can speak about profits in, in general. If a team breaks even, that's a great season. But most teams offer, operate at a deficit year over year over year. And quite honestly, a pretty large one at that. So finding a way to be sustainable is a huge challenge right now uh, because, you know, I, and, and, and I relate to, I actually just watched, I can't remember if I mentioned this um, yet in the last episode, but I just watched uh, Super League. Apple TV came out with uh, with a four part docu series, and not to go on a tangent about that, but some of the things that they talk about in Super League with with, with the football clubs, uh, and again for new USA listeners, when I say football on the podcast, um, I mean soccer, USA soccer. Um, it, it's very similar, right? But but they touch on the fact that a powerhouse like Barcelona, for example, or or you know uh, just just some of the big big soccer clubs, right? Big football clubs names you, you, you hear of, they make a lot of money and they spend a lot of money, uh, but they have packed stadiums and their merchandise and, and their, and their licensing and their TV deals are humongous. Basketball, it's not the same. Um, you know, so it's just very difficult for some of these clubs to justify losing so much money on the basketball side just because, and as an overall business, people are starting to question that, right? Clubs are starting to question that if, if people care enough or if they should continue to operate at such a loss just because. Um, so that's one thing. And then another thing for, for, for the EuroLeague right now that's a big challenge is, is parity, right? Trying to find a way, I mentioned it before, 10 different countries, trying to find a way to make an even playing field at least from the bylaws or at least you know from a backbone structure is so difficult especially without a salary cap. So 
there, there are a few teams that at the top that are able to have a budget of let's call it 30 million euros or more. You have the Real Madrid's, the Barca's, the, the, the Milano's of the world. And then you have maybe that, that, that next notch down the, you know, a couple of teams from Turkey, the Anadolu Ephesus or the Fenerbahce's or, or maybe even, you know, the Bayern Munich's of the world that have, let's call it around a 20 million euros or more budget. And then you go down again and you have, you know, all the way towards the bottom, you have the 10 million euros or less clubs, the, 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 Zagir's Countesses, the Cervantes Vezdas, right? That is a huge difference, right? And again, please, as always, don't quote me on some of these exact budgets because that was just kind of a, um, you know, a projection from, um, I believe it was it, it was last year's projection. And obviously over the past couple of years, those have been affected tremendously with, uh, with the COVID situation and sponsors. So th- that's just a ballpark, but that is a huge difference. Can you imagine if, um, and, and obviously it's, it's, it's apples to oranges because of the luxury tax tax and the CBA. But can you just imagine if, uh, you know, like the Boston Celtics had a budget of 10 million and the, uh, Houston Rockets were allowed to have a budget of 30 million. I mean, it you know, three times the amount or more, four times the amount. It's just a completely, you know, it's, 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 it's night and day. So that's difficult. Like it's difficult to compete when you're, uh, you know, when you're under those restrictions. Um, and then a, another topic here for for current challenges is is just I guess it kind of covers the first part of financials, but financial fair play. You know how how will the league uh, hold teams accountable? How will teams start holding themselves accountable? Right, submitting proper documents. You see every other month, you see something new with paying players on time and how they're gonna, you know, be, um, let's say, reprimanded for that. Like how, how, you know, if a team decides not to pay a player on time, what happens? Do they get a slap on the wrist, or does one team get uh, get treated differently than another? Or, you know, are there people that are involved with that at the front office level? Will they be held accountable? Uh, and then will players uh, be hurt? by that or will there be a, uh, uh, proper channels in place for them to do something about it, whether that's through ELPA or through a CBA, you know, so a lot of these, the, these things that we talk about, it, it's really difficult because it goes through a certain board process. And then, you know, it's not just uh, Hey, you know, the CEO of the EuroLeague gets to sign off and say, all right, we're good to go. It has to go through this board and then it has to go through that board. And then the teams have to approve because of their licenses uh, and, and the rights they have with that. And, it's just a really difficult uh, set of challenges that I think right now the EuroLeague is, is, is working through. Um, second part here, current focus. So like I just mentioned, financial situation, all the above challenges, how can you make this league sustainable long-term for both the leagues, the sponsors, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the teams, the sponsors, uh, the media portion of it, the fans, the, the, all the stakeholders, how can you make it a, long, a long-term sustainable league? Uh, another big focus right now that I believe is is very necessary, and 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 I know that the Euroleague, um, you know, shares this. Marshall had mentioned this in in, in various uh, various interviews over the past couple of months, and even when he started this uh, this new chapter for him, is putting the players forward. It's it's been a coach controlled. I should say coach, in my opinion, coach and club controlled league um, for many, many, many years. 
part of that has to do with culture. Part of that has to do with coaching salaries versus player salaries. Uh, I think part of that has to do with the relationship between the league and the players, right? The the, the late great David Stern and 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 also you'll you'll hear Adam Silver, uh, commissioners of the NBA, made it clear from the beginning: the only way that the league continues to build um, exponentially and sustainably is with players and for players. Right. And that is why you see the success of the NBA. Uh, again, I, I, it's very difficult for me to just generalize, you know, comparing the NBA to the EuroLeague because it's very different. There's so many different variables. But from that standpoint, putting the players forward um, was a, a big back, backbone of the success of the league, in my opinion. So, you know, how, how, how can the EuroLeague continue to build relationships with players and how can that filter down to the club level in the different uh, in the different markets to make sure that players have more decision-making process and leverage. I think it's starting, uh, but I think there needs to be more that's done. Uh, and then the third part here, future vision, it doesn't necessarily mean that this is not something that currently needs to be dealt with. So let's just say other tasks at hand or other topics that are important for the long-term growth and sustainability of the EuroLeague. I think one major part is Leveraging the young generation. So identifying who the audience really is, the demographics of the audience, and that's probably going to be fractured and, and, and differentiated um, in different markets, uh, but how they interact with sports and media in general. The younger, you know, th the younger audience now is very different than, uh, than five years ago, 10 years ago, let alone 20 years ago of how people uh, consume sports you know, and entertainment and what the competition is and where they watch the games and if they want to go to the games and what they care about at the games and the, all the other variables that are involved and complementary to the game itself. So how, how does that affect how, how game day is structured? How does that affect the social media uh, that both clubs and the, and the league uh, put forward with strategy? Where do fans and the audience want their information and how do they want it? And how much time are they going to spend interacting with that? Those are all those are all huge parts of of leveraging this young generation in order to, you know, kind of project where the league is going to be. Uh, another one: digital innovation and tech and technological advancement. So that kind of has to, you know, goes hand in hand with that young generation and and and, and media. But you know, from the business intelligence and data standpoint, how is the league and how are clubs? Um, innovating and, and, and using new technology, or whether that's from the statistical analysis standpoint internally at clubs or whether that's from, you know, overall business intelligence and, and um, you know, data from how other, uh, other leagues are operating, uh, the, you know, marketing, brand partnerships, all of this stuff goes under one, under one roof. Like, you know, I've said for, for, for many years that one thing I noticed immediately upon coming to Europe is that, you know, marketing and brand partnerships in the EuroLeague specifically, uh, but just basketball in general in Europe is there's a huge opportunity there. I think they're, they're, you know, five years behind where, uh, you know, where professional sports are in the U S with brand partnerships and, and, and sponsorships, right? So how is the league going to leverage what it's built and how are clubs going to leverage their their audience and their communities in order to make it more sustainable and i think marketing and brand partnerships uh has a lot to do with that collective bargaining agreement 
which has been started with uh, the EuroLeague Player Association. Um, you know, Boki Nakbar is doing a great job. You tune into his episode. He was a guest on the podcast to hear more about that. Uh, I'll have some more updates because I'll be I'll be linking with uh, with him this weekend or later next week. But you know, it, it, it's I, I think that the Players Association is a huge part of the sustainability moving forward, and that ties back to a player led league and having players you know have more leverage that's obviously the reason for the for the Euroleague Players Association but will there be a salary cap how is that going to um you know interact with with the league and what and, you know what's that relationship going to look like that's a big part of it and then i think you know future expansion itself i mean what does the league look like with 20 teams or 22 teams or 24 teams or even more obviously there's been exciting things happening with you know, Euro Cup teams or, or or new teams that are in in the in in the mix here in Europe with the London Lions, right? They do they're doing a great job in selling out arenas and um, you know obviously obviously having exciting basketball. Paris, you know, that's I know a huge market. Does the Euroleague look to expand teams there? Do more Italian teams come on for 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 A licenses? Uh, you know, of course, I think the, the the big elephant in the room that everyone's curious about, everyone's going crazy about is, will there be a team in Dubai? Will there be a Dubai expansion or any other Middle East expansions? Now, look, I think similar to the live golf situation, you know, I could share pros and cons and break down reasons it's exciting and reasons it's not so exciting from a league standpoint and just a general business standpoint. If you talk about expansion and brand, like global brand awareness, um, diving into new markets, new revenue streams, and of course, potentially capital injection. You have to, of course, say, yeah, let's talk with with any conversation. Now, who that capital injection is from and, you know, where the money comes from, that's obviously a, another aspect here. But just in terms of, of, you know, expanding into other markets, it's an interesting concept. Let's see, you know, let's see how that progresses here. Um, the calendar. If there is an expansion, how does that affect the calendar? With 22 teams, let's say, that means that everybody plays a home and a home. Uh, everybody plays each other twice, home and home. Uh, 42 games. That's going to be you know, every team's schedule. Is that possible with two FIBA windows? I don't know. Speaking of FIBA, that's another topic here. The forever duel between FIBA and, 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 and EuroLeague, like what happens with that? You know from my previous episodes that I'm not a huge fan of FIBA, especially right now. I've met some amazing people there. I've had, you know, even amazing guests on the podcast from FIBA, but there's just, you know, it, it, specifically in regards to the, to, to the agencies and the agents, you know, there's just zero effort from their side to have any care in the world for some of their stakeholders um, outside of the ones who give them money. You know, there's a reason certain federations and clubs have have the power they have. I'm not going to go down that topic of conversation right now. But how will that relationship look, right? Will there be multiple event uh, events like Champions League and and FIBA Europe Cup and 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 you know Euro League's Euro Cup? Who will run them, right? Are they going to have more interaction between the two in regards to moving up the chain uh, from event to event? Um, in case of, of uh, you know, of somebody winning and then, you, you know, you automatically qualify. I don't know. There's, there's, there's obviously a lot to cover there. Um, you know, this has already been a little bit longer episode than I want, but, you know, we can kind of break down each of those topics. But, you know, as always, if anybody's listening and, and you have some feedback, some comments, if you agree, if you disagree, shoot me an email. Let me know. Like, you know, I, I'm always looking for conversation. I think that's the only way that, you know, topics like this are, are you know, move forward and, and actually take action. So, um, 
obviously uh, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of exciting stuff so far. Um, obviously, I will be speaking more about um, you know Euroleague stuff and then Barcelona and and and, and I'm not even going to get into some feedback on the game already um, that, that I went to last night, the Euroleague game between Barca and. Uh, and Byron, because, uh, you know, I'll be going to a few more Barca games. So maybe I'll just save that for next episode. And uh, I, w- I really want to try and keep these under 20 minutes or so. Um, so that's what I got for you today. I appreciate you tuning in. Don't forget, tomorrow is the first guest episode that's coming out live every Saturday uh, is going to be the launch of a new guest. So I appreciate you listening and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. Thanks again for listening, my friends. If you enjoyed the episode or if it brought you any value at all, it would mean the world to me if you could give it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. If you share it on social media, make sure you tag me at Kevin Tarka. If there are any topics that you want me to dive into or any guests you'd love for me to have on the show, just shoot me a message and I will do my best to make it happen. Have an amazing day and hope to see you back here soon.